Hey, I want to interrupt real fast to let you know that yes, ABA Ultimate Showdown's parent company, Graham Behavior Services, is an approved ACE provider, and a bunch of our rounds now count for continuing education credits. Great content and CEs, it's like the perfect combination. And it also supports us in developing and continuing the publication of this podcast. So thank you for your support. This episode is going to count for one ethics continuing education hour, but in order to earn it, you're going to need to hop on over to our website, grahambehaviorservices.com slash showdown and enter the first code word, which is deep, D-E-E-P, like the deepest part of the ocean is the Mariana Trench. Deep is our first code word. Check out our other rounds to earn CE credits from your car, couch, run, or garden. We've got those elusive ethics and supervision credits, so let ABA Ultimate Showdown help you reach that magic 32 hours. And all of your support, again, will allow us to keep bringing you quality, thought-provoking content. So seriously, thank you so much. We really appreciate your support. Now, back to myself. Welcome, welcome, welcome to ABA Ultimate Showdown, a podcast promoting constructive, respectful, and professional discourse to advance the field of behavior analysis. This is round eight of the showdown. This round will center around resources available for BCBAs in regards to managing their caseload. Do BCBAs have enough guidance in the areas of taking on a manageable and ethical caseload and in terminating services with clients? Is there enough out there so that certified staff avoid burnout? There's a lot that's covered in this debate. All right, we want to make it clear that while we are not experts on the specific topics we discuss, we consider ourselves lifelong learners, always looking to gain more knowledge. During this debate, we will construct arguments for both sides to present the audience with a comprehensive and balanced view of two sides of a controversial topic. We've recorded this episode remotely during the 2020 pandemic, so thanks for understanding that each of the speaker's audio may vary throughout this round. Participating today are Candace Summers and Barbara Kalamanis, and I'm your host, Megan Miller, a clinical supervisor and BCBA with Graham Behavior Services. I was born and raised on the Jersey Shore and graduated with a special education undergraduate degree from the College of New Jersey. I spent the first 12 years of my career working as a special education teacher in Hawaii and New Jersey. At Kane University, I specialized in high incidence disabilities, emotional disturbance while getting my Master of Arts degree. I received my postgraduate certification in ABA from Penn State University. I'm also certified as an emergency medical technician in New Jersey. Anytime not working with clients and parents or producing GBS's podcast, I spend with my husband and my three little dudes and my incredible family and friends. Hello, my name is Candace Summers. I am super excited about this episode. I have been working for Grand Behavior Services for a few years now. I am currently finishing my master's thesis in applied behavior analysis. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. I received my Bachelor of Arts in Psychology with a minor in Education and Art History and a Certificate in Developmentally Disabled Individuals and Human Services from UMass Amherst. I am from and currently still a resident of New Jersey, born and raised, of course, and from the best part, the Jersey Shore. I absolutely love everything about this field and continuously learning. In my free time, I enjoy the beach, my pups, rescued, obviously, painting, reading, and practicing yoga. Hello, my name is Barbara Kalimanis, and as Candice, I'm also super excited to participate in this podcast episode. I was born and raised in Greece, but I moved to the United States in my early 20s, and I started my family. I have lived in New Jersey all my adult life thus far, and I consider myself a true Jersey girl. I'm a special education teacher in a public school in central New Jersey and a behavior therapist for Graham. I graduated from Douglas College with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, and I went on to graduate from the Graduate School of Education of Rutgers University with a Master's in Education with Special Education Concentration. I also hold a Supervisor Certification and a Principal Certification. Currently, I'm enrolled in a university coursework in order to fulfill BSCB requirements to sit for the BCBA certification exam in the near future. 
you can say I'm a lifelong learner. I'm in the field of special education and particularly educating students with autism, utilizing the principles of ABA for the last 20 years, and it has been my life's work. One thing for sure, I'm passionate about applied behavior analysis, and there is still so much for me to learn. Thanks so much, ladies. All right, we're going to get started with this debate. While researching this round, Candace and Barbara have worked together to research relevant sources. Each source is cited in the show notes found at grandbehaviorservices.com slash showdown. Today, we're going to include a coin toss to determine speaking order. Each debater will have equal structured speaking time and will have an opportunity to ask and respond to questions. If you're interested in learning more about the debate format that we use, check out our show notes or listen to our podcast's introductory episode. We want to emphasize our most important modification to traditional debate formats. There's no winner and there's no loser. Our intention is to present a different point of view of a controversial topic that you may not have previously considered. We're aiming to disseminate the science in a constructive way by sharing knowledge and respect. The motion for this episode will be, BCBAs have enough resources to ethically and effectively manage their caseload. Candace Summers will represent the pro side of the debate, that there are enough resources for BCBAs and certified staff to access regarding caseload. Barbara Calamanis will represent the con side, that there are not enough adequate resources for BCBAs and those working in an ABA to manage their caseload, potentially leading to ethics violations and burnout. During this debate, we're going to use several terms that I'm going to define here just so that we're all on the same page. For the first definition, defining acceptance and commitment therapy, we visited the website for the Association for Contextual Behavioral Science that states the following, quote, Developed within a coherent theoretical and philosophical framework, acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, is a unique, empirically-based psychological intervention that uses acceptance and mindfulness strategies, together with commitment and behavior change strategies, to increase psychological flexibility. Psychological flexibility means contacting the present moment fully as a conscious human being, and, based on what the situation affords, changing or persisting in behavior in the service of chosen values. Based on relational frame theory, or RFT, ACT illuminates the way that language entangles clients into futile attempts to wage war against their own inner lives. Through metaphor, paradox, and experiential exercises, clients learn how to make healthy contact with thoughts, feelings, memories, and physical sensations that have been feared and avoided. Clients gain the skills to recontextualize and accept these private events, develop greater clarity about personal values, and commit to needed behavior change, end quote. Relational frame theory, or RFT, is a behavior analytic account of human language and cognition. It's fundamentally similar to Skinner's account, and it's distinct from most cognitive and linguistic approaches to language in that, quote, it approaches verbal events as activities, not products, end quote. And that's from Hayes, Fox, Gifford, Wilson, Barnes, Holmes, and Healy, 2001, page 22. Throughout this podcast, you're going to hear the debaters use the term beyond your scope frequently. Beyond your scope basically means outside the relevant range, extent of action, inquiry, etc. in question. For example, cross-examination is not allowed to go beyond the scope of direct examination. That's from the definitions of uh, uslegal.com and beyond your scope. Or the ethics code 1.02 boundaries of competence section A quote, all behavior analysts provide services, teach, and conduct research only within the boundaries of their competence, defined as being commensurate with their education, training, and supervised experience, end quote. Behavior analysts can either practice outside of their scope of practice or their scope of competence. Broadhead, Quigley, and Wilsinski, 2018, states this to differentiate between the two, and this is a long quote, so stay with me. Quote, scope of practice refers to the range of activities in which members of a profession are authorized to engage by, holding, uh, by virtue of holding a credential or license. For example, professionals with a board-certified behavior analyst, BCBA, credential can operate in professional activities covered within the scope of practice described by the BACB. The BACB task list and state licensure laws describe the co- scope of practice in which credentialed or licensed behavior analysts may engage. 
Competence refers to accomplishing a task with a specific level of performance that is deemed to meet a certain criterion. Scope of competence refers to activities that the individual practitioner can perform at a certain criterion level. For example, the functional analysis is conducted accurately and safely. A skill acquisition program includes critical program components and establishes accurate stimulus control. Scope of competence refers to the range of professional activities of the individual practitioner that are performed at a level that is deemed proficient. For example, a given BCBA may be competent, for example, performs a specific level of accuracy and safety to assess and treat aggressive behavior of an individual with ASD, but may not have had the training, for example, the coursework, knowledge of literature, practical experience, to competently assess and treat aphasia of an adult who has suffered a stroke. In this case, incompetence may result in inadequate services ranging from inaccurate assessment of the presenting concern to a lack of understanding of the relevant treatments and the respective social validity of those treatments with individuals who have suffered a stroke. A different BCBA may have exactly the reversed scope of competence, for example, competence with stroke rehabilitation but no experience with severe aggression, end quote. We're also going to use the term burnout, which Google defines as ruining one's health or becoming completely exhausted through overwork, which I'm sure none of you have experience with. Am I right? And then we'll also use um, organizational behavior management or OBM. Basically, organizational behavior management is a subfield of ABA in which the science of behavior analysis is applied to influencing behavior in the workplace. Um, B-Side 21 defines this, uh, says that OBM has helped countless people find solutions to frustrating workplace issues, build workplaces on a foundation of positive reinforcement rather than punishment, and improve critical business results. Okay, so we've outlined the specific terms and definitions that we're going to be debating. Let's get started with round eight. We're going to start this party off right with a coin toss. The winner will be able to choose uh, whether to speak first or second. Heads is going to go to Candace, representing the pro side. Tails is going to go to Barbara, representing the con side. Tails it is. What do you want to do, Barbara? Oh my goodness, I won. I would like to speak second, please. Thank you, Megan. All right, fantastic. Candace, you are going to speak first for the pro side and give the opening remarks, discussing the motion that BCBAs have enough resources to ethically and effectively manage their caseload. Awesome. Thanks so much, Megan. There are enough resources out there to prevent burnout. We just need to look, ask for help, and learn to say no. Not only for yourself and well-being, but for your family, friends, and learners. They deserve the best from us, and they will get the best when we're at our best. And to do that, we need to say no, and when our caseload is too big, know your own boundaries, and most importantly, know your ethics. Recently, I saw a post that stated, What are your early signs of burnout, and how do you manage? I noticed that some were similar, and others were very different from some people anecdotally speaking, of course. Some people said they start start dreading going to work or hope that they that clients cancel. Others say they become moody, feeling unmotivated, wanting to escape to nothing, wanting to sleep as a replacement for going to work, avoiding work altogether, rescheduling clients, meetings, and so on, becoming irritated, physically sick, feeling the tension in your body, headaches, insomnia, falling into bad habits such as eating unhealthy, and you get the picture. These all fall under the burnout continuum. According to Psychology Today, physical and emotional exhaustion, feelings of cynicism and detachment, a sense of ineffectiveness and lack of accomplishment will lead to the inability to successfully function on a personal and professional level. They also mention that there is a fine line between stress and burnout, almost as if stress is a precursor to burnout and to take note and change behavior before it occurs. They go on to talk about signs that are associated with physical and emotional exhaustion. Some are listed are chronic fatigue, insomnia, impaired concentration and attention, physical symptoms, increased illness, loss of appetite and anxiety, depression and anger. 
This article lists out the definitions and goes into signs associated with feelings of detachment and cynicism and ineffectiveness and lack of accomplishment. Please see this article in the show notes for details and reach out to a professional healthcare provider if you or someone you know is experiencing these. We are here to disseminate information, not provide treatment seeing as that is beyond our scope and we are not licensed healthcare professionals. Sometimes we need to look outside of our field or little box, if you'd rather, to practice self-care. Behavior is everywhere, and so is the New York Times bestseller list, which includes You Are a Badass, How to Stop Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life by Jen Cenero. Jen Cenero goes through phases in her own life in this book and gives you, the reader, some awesome tips on how to say no. If you'd like... Um, a more behavior analytic approach, you should read Bailey and Birch 2010. They have a whole section in it. Facebook support groups for behavior analysts and students. Not to mention ACT if you don't know what that stands for, acceptance and commitment therapy. Some of you might find it controversial, but I like to bring controversy to the table. Go check out our first episode. Hint, PFA and Hanley. We love him. Anyway, let's get back on track. Some might find ACT controversial because we cannot always observe what we are measuring. Everything in our field we do has to be observable and measurable, right? So how might you observe what is going on in someone else's mind? Which brings me to my next point. ACT incorporates mindfulness and RFT. RFT stands for Relational Frame Theory. RFT is complex and may be a bit hard to completely learn without prior knowledge on the subject. I really like this explanation from Contextual Behavioral Science, and I quote, RFT treats relational responding as a generalized operant and thus appeals to a history of multiple exemplar training. Specific types of relational responding, termed relational frames, are defined in terms of three properties of mutual and combinatorial entailment and the transformation of functions. Relational frames are arbitrarily applicable, but are typically not necessarily arbitrarily applied in the natural language context. End quote. Have you read Skinner's Verbal Behavior? You might then be familiar with this theory. If not, it might help you out. Yes, we love Skinner and Steve Hayes too. Remember Skinner came up with all the terms we use when speaking about verbal behavior? Steve Hayes took it to the next level using ACT, which is based on RFT. As stated above, ACT, and I'm quoting, illuminates the ways that language entails clients into futile attempts and wage war against their own inner lives. Through metaphor, paradox, and experimental exercise, clients learn how to make healthy contact with thoughts, feelings, memories, and physical sensations that have been feared and avoided. Clients gain the skills to recontextualize and accept these private events, develop greater clarity about personal values, and commit to needed behavior change. End quote. Thus, combining covert behavior, or if you prefer, RFT, in combination with mindfulness, which some might say this is the direction Skinner was going in. All these approaches are being implemented, whether we want to talk about them or not. In this case, we need to talk about them. A 2015 article from Psychology Today entitled, Eight Things Mentally Strong People Do. The last point, number eight, states, they live according to their values. Which brings me to my next point, ACT. Part of ACT is identifying values and making committed action to move closer towards living by them. If you value health and work-life balance, then I'm sure you value some sort of exercise is on your list. Physical health is just as important as mental health. Remember that. Some people from the post said they deal with it by checking in with another person or themselves. That's the accountability piece. Someone else said, planning an exciting trip to look forward to and taking time off. Reinforcement. Others were simply practicing self-care and mindfulness. Just act. Whether a day to themselves or with friends or doing something they like, for example, going out and playing tennis or practicing yoga. 
ABA is a relatively new field and some school systems have only been employing BCBAs as employees or subcontractors for the last few years. As a result, some school administration or administrators may not, not fully comprehend the magnitude of our services, the time required to work with students and staff, the ethical guidelines we are required to follow. I see it all the time on social media platforms. And I quote, I know the ethics, but I need the job. But how, how do you handle 200 plus cases? You need to speak up and know the ethical code. Our ethical code 2.09, Treatment Intervention Efficacy, speaks about clients having a right to an effective treatment. It is your responsibility to, and I quote, Advocate for the appropriate amount and level of service provision and oversight required to meet the defined behavior change program goals. End quote. So if you have 200 plus cases for a district or a company, I think this would be very challenging to follow ethically. We know it's difficult to talk to your school, however it's necessary to explain our ethical code or company, your caseload at your school or company can't change if you don't speak up. Reread code 6.0, behavior analyst ethical responsibility to the profession of behavior analyst. If you need a refresher or if you're still listening, I will read it to you now. And I quote, the obligation referred to here means that behavior analysts put our science, our technology, and our profession above all other methodologies. We have one worldview and one perspective. We support science and the practice of science. Behavior analysis does not permit multiple worldviews or multiple explanations of behavior. From this outlook, other explanations of behavior contradict our science-based approach. Accepting this obligation is not difficult for those who receive their undergraduate, master's, or PhD degrees in behavior analysis, but it can present quite a dilemma for those who were originally trained in some of other fields, especially if that other field was not evidence-based. The same goes for the learner's families that you are servicing. You need to set boundaries. Code 1.0, responsible, responsible conduct of behavior analysts, and I quote, behavior analysts maintain high standards of behavior of the profession. This simple statement contains a great deal of meaning for professionals in our field. The high standards include honesty, integrity, reliability, confidentiality, and trustworthiness. Unstated here is the assumption that these values will carry over into the behavior analyst's off-duty time. This extends to other professions as well. Physicians, architects, school psychologists, and a host of other professionals are all expected to demonstrate their honesty and integrity whenever they are in public to do otherwise is bad for business and puts a black eye on the profession. Case here pertains to maintaining a high standards of behavior. End quote. Yes, when you're off duty to an extent. For example, texting or calling at inappropriate hours, let's say after 8 p.m. or before 8 a.m., continuously texting and calling if you don't answer right away. This might be difficult, but you cannot reinforce this behavior. Mental health is just as important as physical health. Everyone needs a work-life balance. Balanced Behavior Analyst Facebook group. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay that you are not perfect. Let me let, let you in on a little secret. None of us are. We're made out to be these cold, hard perfectionists. We're not. We're human. We need sleep, a good meal, and we're always on the go. So go check out the Facebook group Behavior Analyst Get Fed. A mental break and time to relax. Know your precursors, behave, your precursor behaviors to prevent burnout. Maybe create a checklist of what you do when you're stressed because you might not even realize it. If you can start checking them off, take a moment and, and step, um, step back, regroup, and practice self-care. How are you going to fix it before hitting that threshold or exhibiting that behavior? Manipulate your environment if you're not exhibiting the behavior we would like to see. We're behavior analysts. Make the changes you wish to see. You can do it. Thank you so much for that thought-provoking statement, Candace.
Now we're going to move on to Barbara, who will give the opening remarks representing the con side of the debate, stating that behavior analysts do not have adequate resources to manage their caseload. Again, the motion is BCBAs have enough resources to ethically and effectively manage their caseload. I hear what you say, Candace, and I would love to agree with you. But after listening to my colleagues, either BCBAs or behavior therapists for many years now, I would respectfully disagree with you. In surface, it might look that there are resources to support the professionals in our field, but when it comes to the everyday nitty-gritty of our work, we're often isolated with loss of positive connection with others in our workplace, working many hours beyond our contractual obligations without getting financially compensated for the extra hours we're putting in or being emotionally rewarded. It takes the toll on our psychological state and well-being. Unrealistic expectations from supervisors and parents alike without the sense of getting appreciated and acknowledged can lead to a lack of fulfillment and feeling of apathy. Don't you agree? We're in the field of changing people's behaviors using mostly positive reinforcement and more times than we would like to admit we're not positively reinforced. I agree with you that we have the professional and ethical compliance code we're all supposed to abide by. However, I feel it may be difficult to determine how the ethics code applies to specific real-life situations. Also, who could we really reach out to for ethical dilemmas and guidance when the core of the organization does not support us in a way that we feel valued and appreciated? and they're only worrying about expanding their caseload in order to increase the revenue. How about when we are trapped in an organization that ethically we see that they do not serve their learners as they should, either by not using the best practices or by not supporting their staff, but we cannot do anything about it because we need the job to pay our home and bills. How about when we reach for support to some of our colleagues and we sadly realize they do not follow our code of ethics? Don't you feel our mental health is suffering? We're in the field of changing people's lives for the better and we're powerless in changing our own lives. My colleagues often feel that they are stuck between a rock and a hard place. They want to help as many individuals and families as possible, but they are paying the price of getting burnt out and consequently leaving the profession. We're losing phenomenal BCBAs and loving and caring behavior therapists and we cannot afford any of that especially as the number of the population we're serving keeps increasing. Additionally, referencing how acceptance and commitment therapy aids in the work of BCBAs, I feel behavioral science in the 21st century made a very strong statement. Quote, incorporating ACT into mainstream ABA raises a range of topics that concern BCBAs. For example, is ACT a psychotherapy? If it is, would BCBAs using ACT be outside their scope of practice? This is an important question that deserves careful consideration. In fact, many disciplines with unique scopes of practice using ACT psychotherapy, and many disciplines that do not use psychotherapy also use ACT. ACT is an approach to functional analysis and treatment of verbal behavior. This functional analysis can be effectively used to inform psychotherapy, but ACT is not necessarily a psychotherapy, per se, unquote. This statement may be stressed as it is. Do we learn and practice ACT on ourselves or with our learners? If it is beyond our scope of practice, don't we open ourselves to more stress as we're in danger of finding ourselves in court? It sounds wonderful, and it's not that I'm not sold on the idea of incorporating ACT into our practices, but I would like to see more research in the mainstream ABA, in homes, clinics, and schools to fully embrace it. Because if it's not going to serve as a resource to avoid stress and burnout, why should we invest ourselves in lengthy trainings and countless hours of reading research articles and books if we're not going to reap the benefits? Equally thought-provoking, Barbara. Thank you so much. The next segment of our debate is the crossfire. Both sides will have the opportunity to ask and respond to each other's questions. We will begin with a question from Candice, representing the pro side of the motion. 
Barbara, representing the con side, will answer and then follow up with her own question. This alternating pattern will continue until the end of the segment. Again, the motion is BCBAs have enough resources to ethically and effectively manage their caseload. Debaters, please make sure you answer the question to the best of your ability and ask for clarification if necessary. And as always, keep it respectful. Barbara, isn't it our job to use our ethical resources to know our limitations and effectively manage not only our well-being but others as well? Someone once told me, you need to take care of yourself before you can help others. Ethically, how can you assist clients and their families if you are not managing your own well-being first? Theoretically, absolutely. The BACB Code of Ethics is a great tool and we all need to abide by it. It is our code of contact, but it's not foolproof. Yes. By following the code, theoretically, it should minimize conflicts of value and clarify the right thing to do if issues arise. However, it may be difficult to determine how the ethics code applies to specific real-life situations, or you may be asked to do things that are unethical by non-BCBA staff who are not familiar with the code. If there are any issues involving ethics, we must hold to the ethics code as our ethical responsibilities come before any organization policies, 1.04e. Aside from ethics, a mismatch in this area may also occur between personal goals and the values of the company or between a company's advertised mission statement and their actual practices. Everyone promotes high quality service with the best interest of the client in mind, but the reality of having a profitable business does not always match up with that goal. I have a question for you, Candace. Why is it that the first thing we discuss with our families is continuously reinforcing the behavior we would like to increase or withholding reinforcement for behaviors we would like to decrease? But when it comes to the professionals in our field, we're constantly under-rewarded and under-reinforced. Use the feedback model more for positive feedback. One of the hardest things I have learned was to accept positive feedback. It can be awkward or uncomfortable, but embrace it. That being said, spread the positive feedback. In our company, we call it nominations. We submit all the great work others are doing to the directors and they share it with the other person. To reinforce this behavior, there is a lottery. This is not only great for just ABA companies, but all companies. This is just one of the many OBM strategies used by behavior analysts. I also wouldn't say that we're under-rewarded and under-reinforced. I think a lot of the time, we ourselves are always trying to do better. Barbara, it is our job to continually be up to date with the practices and research according to our ethics, so I would think, anecdotally, that this includes preventing burnout. We may... We make activity schedules and plans all the time for our learners, so why not do it for ourselves? I like this question, Candace. Preventing us from burning out would require more than keeping detailed planners, which allow me to underline adds to the stress. We might seem organized, but as the workload piles up, the meetings we had no time to attend have been postponed, but still show up on our planners and the progress reports we didn't have either time or the relevant data given to us from our team is still there. Just moved a couple of days later is adding to the stress. We're not checking off items on our to-do list as fast as we're adding them. Our employer, our clients, and their families expect us to be on our A-game all the time. But are we ever able to refuse a case or ask for extension because our code of ethics suggests this? Aren't we jeopardizing our jobs if we're not producing for our employer and our families the results they are seeking despite the fact that we're working on a thin string? I'm not sure how our code can really protect our jobs that we depend on for our livelihood. Another question for you, Candice. Why does our workload continue to increase and is expected of us to do the work of more than one person? given that most of us work very long hours during the week and we're playing catch up over the weekend and holidays. I might have addressed this pre 
this previously, but go back to our ethics text if you do not remember, or go to the BACB website. You do need to advocate for yourself and your learners. If you are doing too much, you are not going to be able to effectively treat the learners in your care. If others are unfamiliar with this ethics code, you must inform them, and this is part of our ethics too. Barbara, the demand has increased about 800% for behavior analysts between 2010 and 2017, according to the behavioral science in the 21st century. With that being said, there should be more behavior analysts hired and more companies trained on ethics of a proper caseload. Wouldn't the companies hire more professionals or give cases to other companies if they are not able to staff the cases? That's another great question, Candace. This is a great thing for job security in our field. I agree. But think about the pressure and the amount of stress that employers are under to provide services to significantly more clients that they have supervisors for. If there is not enough human capacity that might lead to either turning away businesses and money or pressuring their existing staff to take on more cases that they can actually handle. This may include a caseload that is too large or taking on cases that are outside of your area of competence. In any case, I hope we can all see how this excessive demand can cause physical and mental exhaustion to BCBAs and behavior therapists alike. Final question for you, Candace. Why do you think it is that we lose the sense of community as soon as we start working either in a school setting or home environment? Great point, Barbara. I'm not sure that we lose a sense of community. If you don't want to, you don't have to. My experience from working in both environments in a, in a school is what you make of it. Not everyone may like or understand what you do, but as long as you are respectful, you will find your community. It might be with other therapists, fellow teachers, administrators, or counselors. Everyone is human. You will make friends and a community. As for the home environment, get out. Make an effort to attend social events with other practitioners, even if you won't know anyone. You'll make friends. For example, in our company, we are extremely lucky. I'm not being biased at all. We have monthly meetups that anyone is welcome to attend. We are now hosting them virtually, so even if you don't live in New Jersey, you can come. We also have a collaborative group call that is voluntary for our employees to discuss anything really, and believe me, you'll always learn something new. We also offer in-house trainings, and our administrator has a social event twice a year for all employees. There are tons of groups, even special interest groups you can join on Facebook and I'm sure other social media platforms. Some even go live on Facebook, so we all are welcome. There's conferences galore. Most often, you you need a membership, but once you have that, there are other opportunities that present themselves, such as Babbitt, and they have socials. If you're on a board, you can collaborate, collaborate with others. You have to look at the glass half full. I really love the crossfires. I love how you guys asked such great questions and really came up with some awesome answers. Thank you. Our next segment will be the rebuttal. Candace, representing the pro side, will speak first. Candace, go ahead. Let us take a moment to go over what we are discussing. According to behavioral science in the 21st century, and I quote, burnout is sim not simply being overworked. It is a syndrome of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and reduced inner accomplishment. End quote. Let's take a moment to think about that. It is more than being tired. It's about your mental health. Quote, symptoms of burnout may include questioning your career choice, dreading going to work, becoming irritable with your coworkers or clients, and having a decrease in productivity and having an increase in health problems such as headaches, upset stomach, and body aches. End quote. And that was from the Mayo Clinic, 2018. Sometimes you don't realize how it affects you or others and your relationships. We all have to take an ethics class for our profession, and if you're like me, me, part of your course requirements are also a professionalism class. I have to say, I had a wonderful professor for this class, and when, it, when you have a great professor, it makes all the difference. Part of the course requirements for this class was to read How to Win Friends and Influence People 
by Dale Carnegie and 25 Essential Skills and Strategies for the Professional Behavior Analyst by John Bailey and Mary Birch. I think this class and books really go hand in hand when promoting that there are adequate resources when it comes to managing an ethical caseload and avoiding burnout. We also discuss professional issues, how to complete a professional development interview, and create a professional development plan. These things should be ongoing throughout your career and not stop when your class is complete. If you'd like further information on ethical dilemmas, you can listen to the BACB podcast and others, or if you're really unsure of what to do, you can reach out to John Bailey himself. He has a hotline. The hotline is used for having a pressing ethical question that you need answered immediately. You can also submit ethical questions that do not need immediate attention through a form on the website. Please refer to the show notes for more information. Have you heard of the quantified self-movement? The whole idea is people learn from their own data. Like self-monitoring. The goal is to analyze your data and either increase or decrease the future frequency of the target behavior. Self-monitoring could be holding yourself accountable for meeting your goals on a daily basis. For example, breaking down your readings for class and completing what you should what you have scheduled for the for day to day. After completing your goal or reading, you can allow yourself to engage in something that you prefer. For example, it might be that piece of chocolate or watching an episode of your favorite show. You can use this when exercising. Say you set a goal to do work to work out three times a week. Once you completed all three, you can engage in that preferred activity or have that special treat. Maybe ice cream. I really like this quote from Central Reach and I think it explains a majority of us. Quote, clinicians value helping others over their own self-care. End quote. I think we're changing that now. We have all these amazing resources available to us. Excellent points, Candace. Thank you so much. Now, Barbara, representing the con side, will give her rebuttal. Take it away, Barbara. Thank you, Megan. Candace's points are well taken, but the way it's presented is left solely on the BCBA. By nature, I believe our work isolates us as we work directly with our learners and their families. I absolutely see Candice's points and they're very valuable. And we should all practice self-management, self-care, self-professionalism. But do you see what all these words have as a prefix? The word self. If we do not do our due diligence to find the resources ourselves and or advocate for ourselves, the resources are not easily identifiable. Candice was very lucky her studies to have the classes she just told us about. But honestly, how many of us in the field had the opportunity to enroll in such classes, especially if we follow the verified sequence coursework after our graduate studies? Actually, what Candice just quoted for us, quote, according to behavior science in the 21st century, Burnout is not simply being overworked. It is a syndrome of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and reduced inner accomplishment. And quote, lends itself to the point I'm making that truthfully, if the resources were available to us, no BCBA would ever feel overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated, or even ethically challenged to have to make the hard decision to either make money to live on or quit his her job or in the worst case scenario, after all the hard work and sweat to obtain certification, to debate if his job choice worth his emotional state, which was exactly Candice's second quote. Quote, symptoms of burnout may include questioning your career choice, dreading going to work, becoming irritable with your coworkers or clients, having a decrease in productivity and having an increase in health problems such as headaches, upset stomach, and body aches. Mayo Clinic 2018, end quote. And while some agencies may perceive workplace stress as a sole employee problem, in reality is more than that. Stress is a management and leadership matter as well. Although advice on issues related to diet, exercise, and time management are valuable to staff members, applied behavior analysis organizations, the very organizations that pride themselves in changing people's behaviors for the better, should work toward preventing stress in the first place themselves. 
Stress that goes unchecked could cause a decline in an employee's performance and productivity, thus negatively affecting the persons being served, our learners. We always need to think about the people we serve because our work impacts their quality of life. If we are left alone to solicit the resources ourselves to prevent burnout, at some point in our career, we're going to give up and question our professionalism, ethics, and lastly, career choice. No job is worth constant stress and burnout. The work that BCBA and behavioral therapists do is hard by itself. We're constantly looking through peer review articles to determine the best possible treatment for our learners. Now, if we also need to research the best possible ways for us to avoid burnout, I'm not sure we will have the time or better yet the energy to find our own ways to alleviate workplace stress. I definitely do not suggest that we should not also work on our self-care and self-management skills, but the organizations we're working for should also provide us with the tools and resources to help us feel less stress and burnout, giving us additional caseloads when upper management is very well aware of how much time each case requires. When some of us are sent to school districts and were required to work with all the students in their program and create behavior intervention plans in the drop of a hat and consult with all their teachers, train their staff, and were only given a short time to do it because the district also needs to serve its students immediately, and our organization does not provide us with additional resources, most possible human resources, it is when our work becomes a burden and preoccupies our thoughts. Money will always be the culprit. Maybe if organizations pay more attention to their employees than the money either making or saving, maybe then the same organizations will realize that by providing the resources to avoid staff burnout at the end will be for their own benefit as employees will be happier more focused and more productive. Therefore, they will be able to bring in the revenues they wish for as they won't have to spend additional monies to replace the ones leaving. Equally excellent points, Barbara. Thank you so much. The next segment of our debate is the second crossfire. I, as a moderator, will ask questions of both sides. We will attempt to keep an alternating pattern of responding. Debaters, please make sure you answer the questions to the best of your ability and ask for clarification if possible. As always, keep it respectful. So the first question is for Candace. Candace, do you think you can control the amount of cases you take on to avoid burnout? Absolutely. You need to know your own limitations. You need to respectfully decline or transfer your cases to other that are A, not within your scope of practice, or B, you cannot ethically and effectively treat because you do not have the time. Okay, thank you. Barbara, the next question is for you. You stated that our ethical code can't protect our job, but if we feel we are not following our ethical code based on pressure to accept cases from our job, do what do you suggest we do about that particular job? Megan, From an organization's perspective, adding to the caseload of BCBAs and limiting the time spent on non-billable activities are logical steps to keeping the organization afloat. However, this does not come without a cost. Research has shown stress, burnout, and management practices to be directly associated with turnover, which can in turn cost organizations heavily. And this is from the Ashanti Edamiri 2013, Moore Barak, Nisley, and Levin 2001 um, article. While many companies do work to enact policies to prevent stress, burnout, and turnover, as the Huffington Post article pointed out, quote, if policy changes aren't supported by cultural shifts, employees won't feel comfortable following the new policies. So for any real change to take place, leaders and managers have to model these new behavioral norms, unquote. We also need to take into account the true time requirements for non-billable tasks, allow employees to engage in preferred non-billable activities that still add value to the organization, such as research, professional events, or continuing education. Uh, we also need to support reasonable supervision limits, 
recognize the fact that individual stress management strategies do not address the root cause of stress. All this will help us avoid burnout. Thanks, Barbara. Those are some really good suggestions, and I hope that some business owners are listening to this. All right, question three is for Candice. Some say that they lose their sense of community since BCBAs are often working in their own home or within schools, which can then lead to burnout, especially in this time of COVID and telehealth. What do you think you could do? How could you go about fixing that? Yes, most of us work individually or with small groups of people otherwise known as teams. There is community all around you, now more than ever since everything is going digital. There are social media platforms you can join that offer webinars and meetups with other collaborators. There are groups you can join to meet others and share ideas specific to your interests or not. Even one just for food ideas since most of us are on the go. Book clubs for behavior analysts too. Oh, did I mention there's one that follows real life serial killers and analyzes their behavior? conferences and networking events there are other things you can do too that don't have to be within our field you have to make your own community and connections as jen Sonero would say author of you are a badass do something you love those are awesome suggestions candace thank you all right so the kind of segues into my next question barbara candace listed a bunch of ways that you can involve yourself to have a sense of community even if you're working solitarily as a bcba Do you think that these are enough to help us avoid burnout? Megan, as an idea, it sounds wonderful, but whether you're in a clinic surrounded by people or working on your own in home with your learners, loss of positive connection with others in your workplace is bound to occur. It is the nature of the behavioral analytic work to mostly work on your own. But I would agree, having connections with others that you respect, can share ideas with, and create a community are vital for satisfaction in your job. But there are many things that have the potential to derail this, including micromanaging, isolation, and negative interactions with coworkers. A strong company culture with an emphasis on creating a positive team environment is absolutely needed to reduce the possibility of a mismatch in this area. Companies have a responsibility, I believe, to cultivate a positive and collaborative work environment while extinguishing egocentric and negative interactions such as gossiping, complaining, and venting. Of course, complaints should be taken seriously, but should be directed to the correct person like HR or a clinical director instead of of a group of coworkers or subordinates. Thanks for that answer, Barbara. And I know that we say this all the time in our podcasts. I really think that the, th- the company that we work for, Graham Behavior Services, does an amazing job at cultivating exactly that kind of positive, collaborative atmosphere. I genuinely feel as if everybody has my back. And so if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're struggling in this area, companies like this do exist. All right, so my last question is for both of you. Candace and Barbara. Do you think there really is a way to battle burnout in our field? And if so, what would you say are ultimately the best ways to do so? There are some tips. Practice keeping a schedule or a routine. Yes, it's okay to deviate from these, but you want to try to keep the same general routine for work. Make sure you're prepared, whether it be the next three sets or have a pre-made lunch and or breakfast to go. Get fit mentally and physically. Listen, I'm not one on being being super active you don't even have to be good at it you just need to move when you exercise and release endorphins and endorphins make you happy get some sunshine go for a walk around the block you'll feel better set a time aside time for things you love to do it could be reading a few pages of a book before you go to sleep a hot bubble bath painting hanging with friends or virtually hanging out with them these days You could still have your wine or make yourself a fancy drink. It's okay to access reinforcement for all of your hard work. And most importantly, follow your ethical guidelines and know when to say no. Megan, absolutely. There are always ways to avoid burnout, but I'm not sure how enforceable they can be, but we can control what we can control, right? So to answer your question, I feel behavior analysts should carry a caseload that is 
manageable and allows them to provide appropriate care supervision to facilitate effective treatment. Maintain a positive work environment. Please don't contribute to the gossip or unconstructive complaining. While it may feel good to vent, it does not lead to improvement. It can certainly create a toxic work environment. Create boundaries and stick to them. These boundaries can be related to your values, work-life balance, or any other area that you feel is contributed to your burnout. Most importantly, ask for the support that you're lacking. If you don't ask for help, people may not know that you need it. Also, remember that it's our responsibility to follow the ethics code, which states we may not accept clients we're not competent with, 2.01. And we also refrain from taking on more work that we can handle, 1.04c. If you find yourself in one of those situations, it is imperative that the issue is resolved. Lastly, seek professional growth. Maybe moving into a new area, such as organizational behavior management, OBM. Animal training, distance supervision, teaching ABA. May reignite your passion. Even if you stay in your current area, you can get excited about your career again by attending conferences or continuing education events. As Macmillan uh, pointed out in his 2016 article. Bottom line, we need to be proactive. We need to voice our concerns, ask for help, and do everything in our power to keep the fire of ABA in our heart so we avoid burnout and stay in the profession that we love so much. Thank you. And the second code word is breaths. <sighs> B-R-E-A-T-H-S. Everybody just take a deep breath. It'll all be okay. Head on over to grahambehaviorservices.com backslash showdown for getting this one ethics CE. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Those are seriously some great suggestions, and I definitely have to remember to uh, follow some of those. Thanks for your candid responses. All right, our final segments will be the summary and final focus. Candice, representing the pro side, will speak first. Candice, you have the floor. Let's be clear. There are plenty of resources on how to ethically and effectively avoid burnout and manage your caseload. You can do it, and we have added all the resources in the show notes so they are easily accessible. Remember how the White Book is our Bible, or also known as Applied Behavior Analysis by Cooper, Heron, and Heward? Well, the ethics text is its best friend, so read it and know it well, because if you don't know it, you're only going to hurt yourself and others. I highly recommend You Are a Badass by Jen Scenario. It was on the New York Times bestseller list. Use OBM strategies within the company. Boost the morale. Find a friend and a passion. There are tons and tons of Facebook groups and Instagram pages. Use these free social media platforms to your advantage. Quote, language affects everything, so sometimes we need a break. Sometimes we need to step out of our language and simply feel the world around us. Sometimes we need to step out of Compliance, rule-governed behavior mediated by other people, and settle more into tracking flexible and agile rule-governed behavior that follows contingencies in the environment that matter to us, end quote. And that was from behavioralscience21.org. Give your brain a break and feel your environment. Take your knowledge and use it to your advantage. Hold yourself accountable. Are you happy? Are you taking on too many cases or practicing outside of your scope? Do you know the ethics code? Delegate tasks when needed. Use your professional and develop your use your professional development plan to reach your goals. Use graphs and schedules, whatever you need to be happy, relaxed and engaged, and not overwhelmed and burnt out. We why we do what we do is a quote from Central Reach. In the end, we do it for an important reason. To give those who do not have a voice the ability to live richer and more independent lives. 
end quote. So what's your why? Thanks so much, Candice. You did a lot of research, and I really appreciate all the work that you put into this. I really have to define my why. So now giving her summary and final focus, Barbara, representing the con side, will make her closing statements. Barbara, the floor is yours. Thank you, Megan. As we mentioned before, according to the most recent report of the U.S. Employment Demand for Behavior Analysts, Annual demand for BCBAs has increased about 800% from 2010 to 2017. I do not have the numbers from 2017 to 2020. This is a great thing for job security in our field, but we have to acknowledge the pressure that creates on the employers to provide services to significantly more clients that they have supervisors for, leading to either turning away business and money or pressuring staff to take on more than they can handle. Therefore, this excessive demand causes physical and mental exhaustion. Then there's the issue of control and lack of resources, authority, or support for the BCBAs to do their job effectively. If you have specific client recommendations or need the time and ability to restaff or retrain your direct therapy staff, you should have the authority and ability to make those decisions. When your clinical recommendations are ignored or overruled, then the matter of control is negatively impacted. Another point that I wanted to make, as BCBAs, we're all aware of the importance of reinforcement, whether that comes in the form of verbal praise, tangibles, or other types of recognition. We do our job because we love it but lack of reward or recognition for our achievements can greatly affect our motivation and morale. This reinforcement does not need to come in the form of a huge monetary bonus. In fact, money may not even be a reinforcer for some of your employees, but a simple acknowledgement or thank you for maintaining excellent standards or going above the call of duty may be sufficient. We often deal with severe behaviors, unrealistic expectations for patterns, and demanding work requirements. This continuous unreasonable expectations without appreciation or acknowledgement can lead to a lack of fulfillment and feelings of apathy. Whether you are in a clinic surrounded by people or working on your own in home health, loss of positive connection with others in your workplace can occur. Connections and sense of community are vital for job satisfaction, any job. But many things have the potential to derail this, including micromanaging, isolation, and negative interactions with coworkers. Everywhere we work, we need to feel that there is a strong culture of positive social interactions and professional collaboration. Companies should reinforce collaboration and positive social interactions while extinguishing egocentric and negative interactions such as gossiping, complaining, and venting. The feeling of fairness is huge in our and everyone's work. Feelings of unfairness can come in the form of favoritism or discrimination from management, inequality of workload or pay, mismanaged evaluations or promotions, or even allowing others to contribute subpar performance without consequences. We all know life is not fair, but allowing these injustices into a company can damage employee motivation and performance, as Jacobs highlighted in 2018 um, research. When there is an instance of perceived injustice, there should be procedures to resolve disputes without fear of uh, revenge or retribution. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Barbara, for that really relevant closing. You nailed it. Thank you so much, both of you, for your thoughtful and thorough defense of your sides. There's so many things to think about and a lot of suggestions that you guys made that I hope that our listening audience really uh, takes into consideration. We have to take a lot of responsibility to avoid burnout, and all the research that you guys did hopefully will help a lot of people. All right, so stay tuned. We have new ABI Ultimate showdowns coming out about every few months. So our next topic, you really have to make it your business to listen to. 
If you have ideas or topics for future debates, if you have respectful suggestions on ways we can improve this podcast, or if you're interested in being a guest debater, please email showdown at grambehavior.com. If you've enjoyed what you've heard and found your aha moment, please subscribe to our podcast. Visit our website at grandbehaviorservices.com slash showdown. We have a lot of awesome new blog posts. Like or follow Grand Behavior Services on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram. Tons of awesome social media posts. Or visit our YouTube channel to be alerted when new episodes are out. We also appreciate your thoughtful review on the platform that you listen to us on. Finally, we ask our audience two things. Be respectful and thoughtful when you respond to other people and their ideas. Remember that everyone has a unique learning history that has brought them to this moment. It will make you a better person and further promote behavior analysis. And second, go forth and deliver good ABA. This podcast has been brought to you by Grand Behavior Services. Grand Behavior Services provides quality, comprehensive, evidence-based therapy to individuals with any behavior challenges or an autism spectrum disorder to create effective behavior change in themselves while empowering their families to help them pursue productive, purposeful, and fulfilling lives. Grand Behavior Services, professional, supportive, optimistic, proactive, compassionate, scientific, and trustworthy.